you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, we're going to primarily be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, but I want you to turn, first of all, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I'm going to use that in in way of introduction, and then we're going to look, if you want to go ahead and look it up, um, we're going to focus primarily on Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 this morning. I started a series last Sunday morning, and I'm calling Demonology 101, I, I realize I've, I've taught some classes on angels before and their role in the world today. And um, although um, we talk about the work of the enemy a, a lot, I've never spent um, a great deal of time developing a doctrine, if you will, of, um, of demonology, of demons, of Satan, of, of his work um, in this world. So... Started that last week, and it all kind of came about after I preached from Ephesians chapter 6 a few weeks ago, and we, and we talked about um, that wrestling match that we're all in every day of our lives. Not a flesh and blood wrestling match, but one against unseen, invisible powers that are at work in this world. And there was a whole lot, there was a, I, I felt like I just crashed and burned on that message, but there was a, a big response at the end of it and a bunch of dialogue afterwards. So it's obvious to me that that resonated with some folks and that we needed to look in a little more detail about that spiritual warfare that we all have to engage in every day. So last week we basically talked about who the demons are, where they came from, their origin, where, where did they, where did they come from? Um, well, they were, I believe, the Bible teaches us that they were originally created by God in perfection. Um, but with the same kind of opportunity that we have, the ability to rebel. They were given freedom of will. And, um, and, and, and even though the, their leader, Satan, was created in perfection, we read about his creation last week and how he summed up the seal of wisdom and beauty um, that, that he probably was the chief angel of heaven but he got filled with pride because of that perfect nature and as a result was cast out of heaven and became an inhabitant of earth we talked about their nature last week and i'm running through this very quickly i don't want to go back and preach this message we don't know how many of them there are Um, we simply know that one third of them followed satan in his rebellion and the bible talks about there being an innumerable company of angels in heaven we, there's not a factory that's producing them still. God's not. There's no evidence whatsoever that God's creating more angels or that demons are reproducing themselves. Um, and I know there's some popular teaching today that wicked people, when they die, they come back as demonic spirits. You can't prove that biblically. I don't think there's any evidence of that biblically. Um, but even so, they are and they are so numerous. I think that we could have. In fact, there's scriptural evidence that people can have thousands of demons taking up residence within them. One woman that followed Jesus faithfully, Mary Magdalene, had seven um, in her before she was delivered. So they're innumerable, they're invisible, they're outside of the rim of our ability to see, um, but we, like, like we do the Holy Spirit, we can't see Him either, but we see His effects, and we see the effects of the work of, of demons and Satan all around us. They're rebellious, they, they were thrown out of heaven because they're rebellious, they're still rebellious, and, um, and they're filled with wrath. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that they're full of wrath and they know that their time is limited here on earth. They're the enemies of God. They're the enemies of man. They have two ultimate goals, and that is to blind the lost to the salvation that's offered in Christ and to cripple the saved so that our light 
can't shine to those that are lost. And I can prove that from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3 through number 6. I'm going to read that to you and then we're going to jump into the heart of our, our message this morning. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there's that. He is doing his very best to blind the lost to the gospel of salvation that is offered in Christ. And then Paul says that we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that's where we're called to be his witnesses. So, so, so what the devil is up to in the world, what the demons in the world are up to, is to blind the lost to the light of Christ, lest they be saved, and to hide the light of Christ that is in the redeemed so that they can't see Christ in us. I would say he's doing pretty well in both cases. Before I get into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, let me say this because I feel like it needs to be said. If you think talking about the demonic realm that innumerable, invisible host that's all around, if you think that our discussion of them is mythical or metaphorical or silly or simply unbelievable, then you're going to have to disregard a portion of the Old Testament, a huge portion of the New Testament, and a lot of the things that Jesus Christ himself said. What I want you to understand is that the more that I've studied, the more that I've found is that demonic activity in the Bible was very, very real, very, very active. And there's no reason whatsoever for us to believe that the same is not true of the day and age that we live in. In fact, I would submit to you that if they were active in the time of Christ, and they were, we see evidence of them all around him through his ministry. We'll, we'll see a few of those this morning. They, they were there after his ascension, um, antagonizing the apostles and what they were trying to do in sharing the gospel. Uh, they're there all the way through the book of the Revelation where you see their activity very clearly in the things that were written. And so if they, were act, if they were present and active in biblical times, there's no reason for us to believe they're not active and present today, and probably even more so because they understand that their time on earth to, do, to accomplish their goals is limited. And as much as I want to just jump right in there and talk about the tactics that he uses and how he is working against us, the schemes, the devices... The Bible says that we're not supposed to be ignorant of those devices. As much as I want to jump right in there and talk about those, those tactics that the enemy uses, I think it's important for us to lay a foundation first about knowing who they are and how they're operating in this world around us. And let me just say this, and, we, and I, I hope to just keep uncovering this a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, demons are intelligent. 
They are observant. They're not omniscient. They're not God. They're not equal to God. They're not equal to Christ in any sense of the word. But you understand this. They have been observing humanity from the day that we were created. They know where our weaknesses are. They know where our struggles are. They know that our tendency is just as theirs was to be lifted up with pride because we were created as the crown of God's creation, established in His own image upon this earth. And they, they know where to attack us. They've been successful at that for 6,000 years. They're intelligent. They're powerful. They're organized. And they're unified in the work that they do against humanity. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, right after he tells us to put... To, to, to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might and to put on the whole armor of God that we, can, that, we can, that we can engage in this warfare that we're in. Verse 12 describes what we're up against. When Paul said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, when we went through this study in Ephesians, we just touched on that very lightly and moved on. I didn't have time to get into it. But I want us to zero in on that verse this morning because what we're presented with in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 is, is a loosely defined hierarchical organization within the demonic realm. Um, I, don't think there, I don't think that this breaks it down into great detail, but I do think this kind of gives us an overarching picture of the operations of the devil and of his demons. And, and, and let me just say this. Oftentimes in the Bible where you see um, that, that there is a work of Satan going on, just understand that, that anything that demonic realm does is attributed ultimately to their head, who is the devil. And so it may not be the devil himself personally involved in that attack, but it is those demonic cohorts that were, um, that were evicted from heaven um, because they followed him uh, in his rebellion. So when, I, when you talk about demonic operations, that's just an organized order um, about how they operate against humanity on earth. There are some words there that I just want to zero in on um, because in just reading that, you would think the description is just, is just um, talking about the whole realm of demonic influence. But there's some, actually some important words here. The word principalities... Um, is the Greek word arche, I think is how you say it. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know how to operate a Strong's Concordus. If you don't have one, I'd suggest you get one. Look up these words and you'll find out that they have sometimes deeper implications than we read into them. Principalities, arche, is a, is a the word means beginning. It means the initial start of something. It, it, it means that, they, that they are, there is a chief magistrate or rule um, going on. Have you ever heard the term archangel or archangel, A-R-C-H? Same words being used there, um, but in the context of the demonic. So there are principalities that are at work against us, and these principalities are the beginning of that demonic rule on the earth. They are the archangels of, of, of wickedness. They are the archdemons of wickedness. Now, um, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I've been trying to figure out a way to break this down this week in a way that maybe we could start wrapping our minds around how they're operating in the world today. 
So if I had to give you a visible comparison of what the operations of the demonic look like, how they are governed and how they work in the world around us, um, and I think you can see some of this in our own system, I would say that this, these principalities represent or are compa- in comparison to how we are governed through the three branches of our government, the executive, the judicial, the, um, the, the, the legislative branch, not, not specifically in those roles. But when we look up there to D.C., we see a hierarchy um, that is impacting the way that you and I live our lives every day. Do you understand that? And, um, and I think more and more so they're impacting our lives every day in some negative ways. Now, I think we got a good system of government that was established by our founding fathers. There's nothing wrong with the system. There's something wrong with some of the people inside the system. But when you talk about principalities in the demonic realm, you've got to understand that Satan's not in this by himself, that he has some generals at his disposal, that, he has, um, that there are some demonic forces that take their orders directly from him and then pass those things on down. Um, just like we have a federal government with three branches that, um, that influence our everyday life every day. Um, there, is a, there, there are principalities at work in, 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 um, in these demonic realms that are literally the chief magistrates or rulers that are dictating what others uh, can do and should be doing. Then the second word is powers. We wrestle not against principalities or against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers. Now, I, I think if those two should have, been, should have been put together, then it would have said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But there's a delineation that we're not, rest, we're not just wrestling against the principalities themselves. We're, we're wrestling against the powers that are under them. The word is exousia. By the way, it's used in a lot of positive ways in the Bible. Um, in that we, as Christians, are given exousia. We're given authority. We're delegated responsibilities um, that come from God Himself, that come from the Lord Jesus Christ, that come from the Holy Spirit within us. We've been given certain authorities and certain powers to do certain things. One of those is to go into all the world. He's given us the authority to go in the world and be His witnesses. Um, he's given us the authority to cast out Satan. He's given us authority. He's given us exousia. What that means is delegated power or delegated authority. Um, those principalities delegate authority. They delegate a jurisdiction over the powers that are under them to carry out certain orders. It also could mean the right or the ability to do those things. Um, a comparison to that might be this. Now, I don't want y'all to leave here thinking I just think our government is the devil, but it is in a lot of ways. It has manifested itself in some wicked ways, I believe, throughout history. But this is a good way for me to see this, that there are, there are authorities that are over us that influence and impact our life every day, and they've got certain people under their direct control um, that get down into the nitty-gritty details of our lives. So the way I look at this is this would be like an extension of that of that principality um, that is given the authority, the right, the jurisdiction to intervene in our lives in certain ways. And so we have, we have federal agencies and state agencies that take their powers from those 
they take their authority, they take their jurisdiction, they take their ability, they take their right from that principality to come and interfere in our lives in a certain way. Man, I get up on a soapbox right here if you want to talk about government. I tell you, one of our favorite, one of our favorite powers that's at work in the world today is the IRS, right? Absolutely not. Um, one of our favorite organizations that's at work in the, in the world today is the Environmental Protection Agency, right? No. All these different little agencies have been given authority, right, jurisdiction, ability to get down into the nitty-gritty of our lives and mess with us in ways that we don't want to be messed with. And by the way, I think these, these, these powers, these principalities and powers that are over us today are not any, in any sense, uh, they don't resemble in any way the way that our founding fathers intended this nation to operate. We are supposed to operate from the bottom up, not the top down. Um, the government of the people, by the people, for the people, um, that's been lost somewhere along the way. But this gives you an idea about how that authority is set up over us demonically, how they operate uh, in our lives, how they interfere. The principalities give the orders, the right, the authority, the jurisdiction to carry out their orders among us. The next word is very interesting. It, even though it's given plural in the King James, I think the plurality is, more, is meant more to be that, that all of these are acting under the authority of a, of a ruler of darkness. There's the Greek word. Cosmocrator, I think is how I looked up the pronunciation. Actually, sometimes you can go on the blue letter Bible and click on the speaker function. And it'll pronounce the words for you. Because sometimes the way they lay it out in Strong's Concordance, I said, I don't know how to pronounce that still. So I go listen to somebody else pronounce it, and then I give it to you. Cosmocrator. And, and literally, cosmos. You see it there. Cosmo. The world that we live in, ruler over. So this is, the, 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 we're wrestling against principalities. We're, we're wrestling against powers. We're wrestling against rulers, or more specifically, the ruler of this world's darkness. The Bible calls the devil in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that we just read a while ago, the God of this world. The ruler of this world, the ruler of this world's systems. Paul called him in Ephesians the prince of the power of the air that now works in the children of disobedience. Cosmocrator, the ruler that is behind the principalities, the ruler that is behind the powers, the king of this world's darkness. Now I found another interesting word, and I'm not going to share it up there with you. I didn't put it in the outline, but you go look it up for yourself. When, when you, I, I was reading in Revelation and looking up some words, and I, th I believe it's Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 is the first time. It's used one time in the epistles. But it's clear in the book of Revelation, because Revelation 1-8 is talking about Jesus. It's, de it's describing him. And it describes Jesus in that verse as being the Almighty. And it's used seven or eight more times in um, the book of Revelation. And so I, I was looking up that word in the Strong's Concordance, and I saw a similarity in the two words. Satan is called the cos cosmocrator. 
And, and, and in that context, that word almighty that is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is pantocrator. It begins with the word pan, which is translated in another place, omni. Have you ever been in a... The word just left me. Disney used to have the room. made me sick as a, a panorama. That's what I'm looking for. That whole room was a movie screen all the way around us. That thing made me sick, man. I'm like, I can't look at this no more. I mean, it's, it, is, it felt like the whole world was moving. And I don't know, I live in that kind of environment. I don't know why that made me so sick, but I couldn't do that. A panorama, it is all-encompassing. What do we just come through? A pandemic, all-encompassing, nobody unaffected by it, everybody. So Satan is the ruler of the world, but Jesus is the pantocrator. He is the ruler of it all. His authority is greater than Satan's authority. It is not confined to this world, but it, 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 it reaches to the highest heavens and to the lowest hell. His authority so far exceeds the devil's authority that Jesus can send a word and, and, and send the devil packing. So don't overestimate that cosmocrator that is at work in the world today because there's somebody greater at work in our life today. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, even as the ruler of it. I, I look at that cosmocrator, even though we have three primary branches of government, it's obvious that there's one man that right at the top um, that has an exceptional influence over everything else. And this would probably be more true in a monarchy situation, even like they have overseas, where you have a parliament, but, uh, and this used to be more true than it is today, um, but the monarchy has the overarching authority. And that's how Satan has that, he has that umbrella effect of being over the entire demonic realm. And then the last few words that were used there, it's just spiritual wickedness in high places. And what I, I don't have time to break down all of those words. You can go look them up for yourself. But it, 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 it really means the entire system that moves and directs all of the wickedness of the world. It is systemic spiritual wickedness. It includes Satan. It includes the principalities. It includes the powers. It, it is an overarching system of demonic government and operation um, that is there um, to resist the lost being saved and to stand against the transformation of the saved being a witness to the lost. Now, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 26, and if you go look this up, Jesus had just cast out a devil. He just told him to get out. When Jesus tells the devil to get out, he ain't got no choice. You hear me? He's got to go. The scribes and the Pharisees that hated Jesus said, He's casting out devils in the name of Beelzebub, the prince of devils, who may have been, or they may have just given one a name, one of those principalities that rule, or it may have been a reference to Satan himself. But they basically said Jesus is casting out devils by the power of devils. 
And so Jesus posed this question. He said, if Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? Now the inference in what Jesus said is that the demonic realm is not fighting amongst itself. That they are organized, that they have an operation going on that's organized and that's unified um, and that we have to wrestle against them collectively. And I, I, I'll, just, I'll just add this. If you're going to overcome the schemes and the devices of that cosmocrator, then you've got to have the almighty, the pantocrator, in your corner. Because you, you get your authority to resist the, the, the enemy by bowing yourself in humility before him. James said... Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The authority that we have over the devil comes from our relationship, the governmental authority of Christ over us and in and through our lives. So, that's the operation. Organized and unified. Systemic wickedness. From one end of the world to the other. We see it every day. We don't call it what it is sometimes. You know what's driving Putin? Principalities, powers, rulers. The wickedness around the world is the result of an organized, unified system that is designed to prevent the lost from being saved and prevent the saved from being a witness. But the operations of the demonic also, to me, seem to dictate where they reside, where, they, where their habitation is, where they take up their primary residence. And, and what I mean by habitation, when, we, when you talk about demonic habitations, that is the immediate sphere of influence or authority that they are given. And, and we can break this down all kinds of different ways, but I'm, I'm going to simplify it as best I can this morning. And my understanding and what I've been reading and what I've been studying is that when you talk about demonic habitations, you can boil it down into two. And one is a, is a governmental or geographical habitation or authority that they've been given. Demonic powers can be assigned to, to nations, to, to, to cities, or to regions of the earth. Now, if, if I had to tell you who's living there in, uh, as the ruler over a, over a government or over a geographical region, over a nation, over a, over a, a city, or, or, or over a certain area of land where people are inhabiting, I would probably say that those are the principalities. Those are the arche. Those are the ones that are delegating authority um, to, to, to somebody else, giving right and jurisdiction to somebody else to go and do their dirty work for them. 
Um, they're they're making they're making the laws, but they're got but they got other people that are out there enforcing, or other demons, I should say, out there enforcing those laws. So when I, when you talk about governmental or geographical, where's my proof of that in Scripture? Well, last week when we talked about when we talked about Satan and his fall, both of those both of those occasions in Scripture um, began with him talking about a prince that was over a certain part of the world. And then it shifted to a king that was exercising authority. And it's obvious when we began reading about those kings that those kings were not flesh and blood people. Because the description given of them was supernatural. The description given of them was of something that looked more like an angel than it did a man. um, But was wicked in its influence. And so when we read those scriptures last week in, in Ezekiel chapter 28 and in Isaiah chapter 14. Um, when the Bible talked about the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon, they were associated with the demonic rule that existed over those earthly princes' lives. Who was making the prince of Tyre do what he was doing? Who was influencing him to take the stand that he had taken against the people of God? The king of Tyre, a demonic influence. When you, when you talked about the princes of Babylon who were coming against the people of God uh, and bringing them into captivity, who's behind that attack on the people of God? The king of Babylon um, who would have been the demonic principality um, that was exercising um, authority or dominion over that man. In Daniel chapter 10, um, I'm, gonna let her, I'm not going to turn it. I'm just going to let her put it up. By the way, I appreciate Brother Ralph. I, I mentioned this in passing a, a, a few Wednesday nights ago, and, uh, and I got some of my facts jumbled up in that, trying to relate that. It wasn't, we weren't really talking in detail about demons, but I was reiterating the story, and he came forward and, and showed me in the Scripture. I don't mind you showing me in the Scripture when I've been in error. That was more me just trying to rehearse the story from memory without having went back and re- read it again. And I falsely attributed um, what happened um, of the angel that came to Daniel as being Michael. That was not the case. Let me give you the context. In, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, he had been given some revelations, some incredible revelations about what was going to happen in the future related to the Antichrist and all that. In chapter 10, he'd been reading from the prophet Jeremiah. He was trying to understand where they were at in the time frame of things and what, what they needed to do next. He had been through the Babylonian captivity, um, even going into the Medes and the Persians and their captivity. And, and so he's trying, to, he's trying to figure out what's going on in the world. And so he prays. He begins to seek God's face for an understanding of what he had read in Jeremiah. And there was an angel dispatched to him to, get, to help him understand what he was seeing in the world around him. Um, And when that angel came to him, he said, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now he's talking about, there, there was when Daniel began to pray, seeking God's face for what was going on in the world around him, there was immediately a supernatural demonic resistance to what was going on. There was an angel dispatched from heaven to go help Daniel understand, and he had one that stood against him. And I want you to know, there ain't a human being in this world that can stand against an angel of the Lord on a message, on a, with a message and a mission to accomplish. This was a demonic entity that came to resist this angel sent. Michael the archangel came to his assistance 
and, 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 and help deliver him so that he could come and deliver this message to Daniel. And then he gives a little bit more insight into the supernatural, demonic, spiritual warfare that's going on in verse 20 and 21. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. That's a demonic entity. I have, I've done what God told me to do with you, and now I'm going back to stand against the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia, the prince of Greece, the principality over that, that nation is going to come. So the, the, this angel is giving us some insight into what's going on around us every day in that there are demonic principalities that have been set over nations and over geographical regions to resist the work of God in the midst of them. Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, there was a letter written to a church. And it said in that passage of Scripture that this church was set in a place where Satan had a seat. That they were established in a place where Satan had an authoritative position set up. And now he was bragging on them. Um, the last part of that verse says that, that you're living and ministering in a place where Satan dwells. Now I said before, it, you, the scripture uses the term Satan interchangeably with anybody in the demonic realm because he's ultimately the ruler over them all. But what I believe is that there was a demonic principality assigned to Pergamos. And because of what it says in the context of that letter to the church, that demonic entity is exercising more authority in that region than... than than, than righteous people were. So the church is, is existing in the middle of a nation that is overcome by demonic principalities. I want you to understand, I believe there are cities in our nation where Satan's seat is. Where he has more authority, where he has, where, where he has I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say authority, where he has greater influence than righteousness does. I could name some names, but I won't. One of them's just north of here and got a gold dome on top of it. Wickedness abounds. That's not that there's not righteous people there. And it's not that there's not churches in the middle of it. Um, I believe if you, if you do a little bit of research, you'll find that Atlanta has become either the number two or number three Habitation for homosexuality in the United States of America. I believe San Francisco is still number one. It has become a hub of sexual perversion. Satan's seat lives there. Sodom and Gomorrah were a hub of satanic influence. Principalities exercising control there. So government or geographical, they're the principalities. And then there are, and we're going to dig, we're just going to brush over this because this is part that we're going to keep unpacking and unpacking and unpacking. We, not, we may not know a lot about what's going on in that realm, okay? You may be able to observe a place and say, there's a great deal more wicked influence here than there is righteous influence. 
and understand that there's a principality that is controlling that region that Satan is giving authority to. But where that comes down to where we live at is that demonic habitations can be both personal oppressions and personal possessions. Not, not that he's got your stuff, but that he lives in you, that he has you. I'm going to say something a little bit shocking right here, and this ain't in my notes, but I'm just going to tell you this. If you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life by faith, you are not only oppressed by the devil, you are possessed by him. And I, I ain't trying to offend you. But here's what the Bible says. Read Ephesians chapter 2 and here's what it says. And it's talking about us. It's talking about me. I quoted the passage of Scripture a while ago. And said, you once walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? And so let me just say it like this this morning. If that word possession seems to be too strong for you, if Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, then the devil is. He's the one that has the most influence over you and your decisions and your thoughts and your words and your deeds. And I'm saying that as one who, not, not 27, 28 years ago, I was under the full influence of the demonic. He was killing, stealing, and destroying at will in my life. But there's a difference in a personal oppression and a personal possession in this. I do not believe the devil can possess a believer. Because he'd have to take up residence where the Holy Spirit lives and he ain't going to allow that. However, I believe that demonic spirits can oppress the believer. And I could just point you back to Job. Or I could point you to the Apostle Paul who was asking the Lord to take away a thorn in his flesh, which he, which he described as a messenger of Satan that is sent to buffet me. Paul attributed what he was going through in his life to the attack of a demon. So when you talk about personal oppressions and possessions, I believe this is the powers we talked about the principalities and their habitations being in the government or the geographical. Well, I believe the powers are the ones that are doing the direct oppressing and the direct possessing of our lives. In the sense that they're designed, they are assigned to inflict, to, to, to inhabit or to intimidate humans. I'm going to say it again. I do not believe that a devil can inhabit a believer. But I believe he can intimidate. I believe he can inflict 
So let me give you some Bible, and then we're going to close. What are, what do they do when they oppress and possess? And we're going to unpack this a lot more uh, in, in some of the studies ahead. Luke chapter 13, verse 11. There was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. You understand the scripture could have just said there that there was a woman which had an infirmity for 18 years and just focused on the sickness itself. But that isn't what Jesus said. That isn't what the scripture says. There was a woman that had a spirit, an invisible entity that afflicted her with an infirmity. It is literally, literally read a spirit that produced infirmity in her. And of course, Jesus subsequently healed her. In Mark chapter 1, verse 23, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. By the way, the demons recognized Jesus when he came. And, and they said, he's got authority that we don't have. He's got power that we don't have. They recognized him. So as Jesus was teaching in this synagogue, the Bible said that there was a man in that synagogue, as Jesus was teaching, that had an unclean spirit. And that unclean spirit cried out. And he literally said, we know who you are. A, an unclean spirit, a spirit that produces uncleanness, a spirit that produces immorality, a spirit that produces wickedness in our life. And it couldn't stand the presence of Jesus, and so it cried out. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said, The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly, clearly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Why? Because they are giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So these are literally spirits that deceive and pervert truth in the midst of the church. Those are demonic possessions and oppressions. And let me, let me close with this passage of Scripture. I don't have a clue what time it is. I, I, I literally shortened my notes by one page this morning to let y'all out here. It don't matter if I write five words or 25 pages. I'm going to preach 45 minutes, all right? Matthew chapter 12. I want you to look with me in verse number 43. When the unclean, this is Jesus speaking. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he, that is the unclean spirit, walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he said, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. 
And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now, I don't have time to unpack all that. But I, but I read it to say this. The devils are, are not content to be idle. The demons are not content to be idle. They, they are not content to wander about the world aimlessly. There's no organization in that. There's no authority in that. There's no unity in that. Listen to me. What we're up against is organized and unified and intentional in their assaults upon us. And I know the Bible says the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But that's not that he's wandering around idly and aimlessly. He's just looking for places where men's pride are already being lifted up, where they're already beginning to be influenced, and he is heaping upon that weakness in their life. And so here, what, what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture, I believe, is that it's not enough to get an unclean spirit out of your life. You've got to fill your life up with another spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of righteousness. You can't just turn over a new leaf. You can't just quit this addiction. You can't, just you can't quit that habit. You can't stop doing this thing and expect your life to be good from there on out because the devils don't rest. They don't wonder about idly. They come back, and they come back with more force and more authority than they did before. They are assigned to people. They are searching for people to become a habitation in or to intimidate and to oppress and afflict. They're looking for governments to do that too. They're looking for regions to do that too. They're looking for churches to do that too. They're looking for homes and marriages to do that too. They're looking for people to do that too. And so I'm going to tell you this, we done. When there's killing, stealing, and destroying, there's a demon at work. When there's deception, confusion, and chaos, there's a demon at work. When there's immorality, when there's addiction, when there's hatred, when there's perversion, when there's violence against the innocent, there is a demonic power, principality, and ruler at work. You can be sure of that. But there's another one that wants to be at work in our life. John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes, he comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Has the devil ever been at work in your marriage? He's been a work in mine. But I can, I, can think, I, can, I, can, I can give this praise today. Between Cindy and I, greater is he that is in us. 
Greater is he that is in between us than he that comes against us. Listen, there have been times since I've been a Christian, since I've been a pastor, that I let the devil get a hold of my mind. Listen, I fought a battle. I don't, I don't share this a lot with you on Sunday mornings, and I don't mean to harp on it when I do. But I got me a dose of anxiety two or three years ago that I'd always kind of mock people for. I'd always, I'd always look at folks like, what are you talking about, you panic, panic attack and anxiety? Shake it off and move on. But I'm here to tell you, there's a real spirit of fear that got a foothold in my life. And I gave it to him somehow. Because I don't believe the devil has right and authority in our lives unless we give it to him. I gave it to him somehow. And he tormented me. My wife will tell you, she ain't never seen me like that. And I ain't never felt like that. And I remember thinking on those days that I don't know how people live like this every day of their life. And if I thought that this wasn't going to pass, I'm not sure I could live this way. I'm not telling you I contemplated suicide, but I can tell you that for the first time in my life, I think I could understand people that did. You know how I overcame? I stayed in the book. I stayed on my knees. Isaiah 26.3 said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. I quoted that verse 10,000 times because that's how you whip the enemy. I would quote it and I would come over here and sing and focus my heart and my mind upon Jesus and I'd feel that fear dissipate. And as soon as I walked out the doors, the enemy is assault again. That's demonic. Jesus didn't give me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm telling you, I had, I had fear. I, I, had, I was confused. My, life, my, my mind was a mess. I was faking it until I made it. That's the devil. I believe the devil's behind the depression. Listen, I'm not telling you. I'm not saying I was possessed. I'm not saying you're possessed. But what I'm telling you is the devil is oppressing us every day. And we got to recognize who the enemy is before we can fight him. You agree with that? Here's what we do. We fight each other instead. We fight our spouse. We fight our employer. We fight the doctor. We fight anybody and everybody. And Satan says, as long as they ain't fighting me, I'm good. We got to recognize that they are, they are operating in an organized, unified, intentional effort against us. But if we will stand with the strength of the Lord and the armor of God, we can overcome them. There's more that are for us than there are that are against us. And it's past time we start walking in that victory. Amen. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, you're not going to defeat Satan without him. You're not going to do it. The power of sin is at work in your life, and where the power of sin is at work, the power of the devil still exercising dominion.
you got to make Jesus Lord. You got to make that Pantocrator Lord. I think, it's, I think it's fitting that the book of Revelation refers to him over and over like that. Because in the end of the book of Revelation, Satan is bound and cast into a lake of fire along with every demon that ever followed his will forever. Let's stand. Lord, I, I'm grateful for your word. I know some of this stuff almost sounds like science fiction to us because we've not heard it enough. We've not read it enough. We've not preached it enough. There's a very real, powerful, active, organized and unified system of wickedness at work in this world. And we know, God, as your people, that this battle, that this war is already won. The end of the book tells us that. But we're still engaged in the conflict right now. It's still playing out in our lives every day. Satan's doing all he can to keep these that are lost from being saved. And he's doing all that he can to keep us who are saved from looking like Jesus and shining his light in this lost world. God, I pray you'd help us to overcome him on both fronts this morning. Give us power over the enemy. And we'll rejoice and praise you for all that you do. In the name of Jesus, the Almighty's name we pray. Amen.